Hi, and welcome to Song Divers, an interview podcast about singer-songwriters. We like to go deep in conversation with our favorite musicians in search of honest answers. What are the ingredients of a great song? What makes a songwriter tick? Can a musician make a living these days? Is Jason Isbell overrated? What? My name is Stefan. And this is Ed. And we're thrilled to finally bring you our first episode with a female singer-songwriter. Hello, my name is Lydia Luce. Hello, lonesome, I'm breaking free. Oh, I do not like the way you've treated me. Upon my mountain, I, I look ahead. Feeling grounded with each and every step, oh, each and every step. Equal parts nature and nurture, Lydia Luce has an instinct for songwriting. Her artistic voice is both beautiful and unique, and her lyrics hint at an appreciation and curiosity for the world around us. Her almost flower child attitude is counterbalanced by an innocent professionalism and a perfectly applied polish from her years of musical conservatory-based study. From the string sections she spearheads to her own songwriting, there's a grateful but confident practice at work in everything she seems to touch. If you're like us, once you hear her, her tunes will be in your weekly playlist. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Well, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale, but I moved from there when I was 18, so I haven't been there in a while, and then I've been really bouncing around a ton since then. And where are you based now? I live in Nashville now. I've been there for two and a half years. I moved from Los Angeles, way different vibes, and then before that, I, I worked at the Smithsonian for a year. What'd you do there? I was working at Folkways. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of Folkways Records. It's yes. like the Smithsonian's... The archives yeah. of the uh, Lomax field recordings uh-huh. and all that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. He knows. Yeah. So I thought I was going to be an ethnomusicologist at one point, and I ended up there. Um, and I it was really cool. It was a really awesome opportunity, but I was... I was like at a desk for right. eight or nine hours a day, and halfway through that, I was I was like, I need to be playing, and so that's what led me to UCLA for grad school. But it was cool. I mean, they, their archive was incredible. Like they had all Pete Seeger stuff yeah. and Woody mm-hmm. Guthrie, and mm-hmm. I got to listen to like so much music that I, I just had never. What exactly heard. were your duties or like what were you doing like- different things but i um i would look in the archives for royalty i would like track down whoever was supposed to get their royalties like lead bellies family oh, yeah. members oh, wow. right. <laughs> that was really cool and crazy and then um one of the cooler things i got to do was uh unesco donated 120 records to the smithsonian to folkways and so I we were gonna release them that following year, so I had to go through and listen to. I think I listened to about like forty five of them, and then wrote out like read the liner notes, wrote out blurbs for the website. Mm-hmm. So I got to know like these this music, like Inuit music, and like just music that I would have probably not listened to, and like especially very intently, if not for that job. So and some of it was 
kind of hard to listen to. <laughs> like, yeah. Like straight through a whole record of like just really out stuff. <laughs> but it's interesting because there were guys like like Lomax yeah. going out into the field and recording this for posterity, like this yeah. cultural. And see, like, that's what I wanted to do. You wanted when to be in the field? Was, in like, my mind, I was like, oh, I'm going to do ethnomusicology. I'm going to mm-hmm. explore. And I had gone to, in my undergrad, I had gone to Ghana two different summers and spent a month there both times and actually did study like the dance and drum and learned so much and then I was doing I gave a couple um like lectures on that and so I thought I wanted to just do that and that would be but Ghana has like the music of Ghana has been explored immensely and um and a lot of other cultures have had people like since since Lomax come in and explore their music and mm-hmm. and then write about it and so it was kind of the um, what I could have learned and what I could have specialized in was just really limited. It wasn't pioneering. It no. was more like sorting and synthesizing. Yeah, and, and now a lot of ethnomusicologists are like studying computer music and like like synth stuff or like. What, what music is going to so <clears throat> so I um, decided to play the viola <laughs> <laughs> good yeah. choice but yeah. with some influence right I mean you, you were raised in a very musical family mm-hmm. yeah my mom's a classical conductor and they've always my parents have been so supportive of like I wanted to I knew I wanted to do music in, in high school um, and I was kind of on the track for like classical violin like I was I went to like orchestra camps and um did all the auditions my first college was like a conservatory and switched to viola and um it's a really intense life it's so it's lonely in a way mm. like you're practicing by yourself there's not like the how many hours a day would you say at one point I was practicing like eight hours a day right like when I was at my um the conservatory it was I was probably playing eight hours a day and practicing like four of them because you have to like, right everybody's so good and you just want to mm-hmm. everybody else is practicing that much too yeah it's so lonely like you're just and the end goal is to land a chair in an orchestra somewhere exactly. right like, mm-hmm. yeah. so you have to be competitive and... there aren't that many chairs <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, right to land a position like that in so and I realized that um pretty early on and then was interested in other things musically and so kind of I was interested in creating more and and writing and doing just something different and so talk about that talk about yeah. like influences maybe like what yeah. what was your interest that, that drove you to um, do what you're doing I when I was in when I was at the conserv- the conservatory I was writing little songs on my viola and singing and playing and I started playing like some open mics and I was like this is nobody does this and with a viola yeah, yeah singing and playing and then I discovered like Ben Soli and several there are several singer songwriters that do that like Andrew Bird and right. different um Andrew I, Bird's great yeah so incredible he actually went to a conservatory as well I read and that, yeah. also was like no because <laughs> there's not you want part of the beautiful thing about music is the camaraderie and being mm-hmm. able to the community and being able to do things together so 
Um, this chick, Annie Rossi, I discovered her when I was like pretty young. She plays viola and sings and just was really interested in doing more of that. And then I left the conservatory and then just kind of like took a year off and was like, what am I doing? And then heard about Berkeley. Somebody told me about Berkeley when I was like 19 and ended up going there. And that kind of completely opened up my musical, like the education I thought I could get in music was like conservatory. Mm-hmm. And this was so just everything in one, under one roof. Mm-hmm. Anything I wanted to do, songwriting, ethnomusicology. I studied like Middle Eastern fiddle. <laughs> I did, I had musical ADD. I did all the things and then kind of tried to hone in on, okay, what's next after I graduated. And it's just been several years of, okay, well that I liked, but I kind of want to push it in this direction, like kind of just navigating my musical career, always doing it, but mm-hmm. it's turned and it looks, it's looked like so many different things, mm-hmm. but yeah. Was Berkeley also more of that camaraderie you were looking for? Oh, was it more absolutely. of a, like a melting pot and kind yeah. of sparking off of other like yeah. musicians in the same boat as you? Yeah. Were? Jamming. We yeah. jammed a lot mm-hmm. to the point where like if somebody asked if, if, uh, you wanted to jam, they're like, no, <laughs> I don't want to jam. I'm upper class Berkeley. I don't jam anymore. But when you first get there, you're like, yeah, let's jam. And <laughs> at one point, did you pick, actually pick up a guitar and start uh, learning yeah. that and, and using that as an accompaniment? I had taught myself in in high school just like you know Blackbird and Tabs. My mom would never. She didn't want me to like take lessons. She wanted me to do just like violin and viola stuff. So I had to do just learn myself and um yeah and then kind of started incorporating it more at Berkeley because I took songwriting classes and like no one else was bringing their viola in (laughs) (laughs) though it would have been very cool because the viola is very cool it is a beautiful (laughs) instrument yeah do you have it with you on the road or just the violin just the violin yeah my viola is really nice and I don't have a great pickup for it, and mm-hmm. it's just easier to bring the violin. My violin I got um, for free. It was my great grandfather's. He was just he just like used to collect instruments, and we found it in his closet when we were selling his house. Wait, and it's awesome, and it's called a Stradivarius, not a Stradivarius. Not to be confused like, with. <laughs> yeah, it's a German factory violin, which is actually they make. German factory violins are pretty nice, but it says Stradivarius inside, and a couple of people have been like, "Oh my gosh, you have a Strad?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally." Technically, yeah. is that a Gibson? Don't this is a Gibson. Look. Yes, exactly. So after Berkeley, where where did that take you after that? So you're you're still kind of trying to figure out, yeah, what you want to do or how you want to approach it, or yeah, I thought I wanted to. I was. And, and how many years ago is this? Give some context for listeners. Yeah, this was many moons ago. This was in like 2013, 14. Okay. So I um, left Berkeley and was still doing the violin, viola thing. So I was like playing with other artists and doing that. And then also looking at what an ethnomusicology career would look like. So I like I ended up I got to play with a lot of I got to play with like Rod Stewart the year I graduated. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and like Annie Lennox and. So um, was he touring with a like a small string? string? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we yeah. played like 
three shows with him and then <clears throat> and Santana was opening for him. It was pretty like, oh, this is an interesting. It was just a pretty, it was like right after Berkeley. So it was like, this is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And then um, went straight to the Smithsonian and then out to LA. And since then I've, I've gotten to play a lot, like I do a lot of different things. So I still do a lot of like violin, viola things. And I've gotten to play with some really cool artists and in some session sessions with some cool artists and so it's been fun to have that side too where I'm just supporting another artist purely mm-hmm. and not focusing on like Lenia Lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's actually great. I love doing that. <laughs> well, when did you start doing the Lydia Luce thing? <laughs> like when did you first start writing? Um I mean I did it I did it at Berkeley but I was less serious about it. I started getting serious about it like halfway through UCLA. And what was the catalyst? Was it that you felt like you had something to say? Was it expressive? Was it cathartic? Was it just just time? Yeah. I mean, it was like I kind of entered back into that conservatory thing at UCLA. It was super... I'd gone from Berkeley where, where you just could, like, create and be weird and whatever and do your own thing. And then back to this super academically driven community and... Um, Rigid and, discipline. And, yes. Yeah. And I went in kind of like with a different idea of what I was trying to do. And so they, it was pretty strict the first year. And then towards the end of that, something happened. I think there was like a performance that I'd worked my butt off for and was like, man, that wasn't even fun. (laughs) (laughs) And started writing more. And I was playing a couple shows out. And then I made an EP. I moved to Nashville. I went on a tour playing fiddle with a a songwriter and was like, I want to be doing what this guy's doing. This is fun. I want to be playing my songs and try that. So I got back and moved to Nashville, wrote a bunch, and then finished my degree, but went back that second year and was like, all right, guys, I got to do it differently. Like, this isn't what I want to do. I either leave or... Because I was also teaching for UCLA. Mm -hmm. So I... They... My uh, boss was really cool. Like, he was like, all right, we want you to be here. What does that look like for you? So I ended up teaching a class about, like, sting- like strings in the real world. Kind of mm-hmm. like if you don't get a job as, you know, that one mm-hmm. um, seat in an orchestra, like, what else can you do? Right. Recording and, sessions. Yeah, yeah. There's so many other things. And they're really satisfying. And, and utilize all of your education from your um your undergrad your graduate degree and still i don't know so just it just like it can look like different things so when you went to nashville it was just like a cold like i'm going to nashville i was gonna ask that too i mean andrew had a moment like that that he he mentioned uh, andrew duhan who you just finished up a tour with yes um we just did a session with as well and he talked about having this like i know this is what i'm supposed to be doing and i can think of so many of my friends that would not just be like i'm moving to nashville I'm picking yeah. up moving to Nashville. Yeah, so to Ed's point, I mean, it's just a clean, like, doing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just for the summer, and I just, I really loved that tour I was on, and all those guys lived in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want to be with, with them doing what they're doing, and um, found, like, <laughs> found a room from, I think, Facebook. Like, this room, it's this tiny little room with 
in a house with three dudes that were all musicians and they had a Rottweiler that did not like girls. And so I just kind of like, I was like, I'm That's doing for me. it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Told my mom, and she's like, why do you keep doing this to me? <laughs> but it was fine. She warmed up to me. <laughs> but yeah, it was a great summer. I learned a lot. I like, I kind of became more comfortable with my voice and, I went to a jazz fiddle camp that summer too, because I was still in that classical world. So I was like, okay, let me. And I, a bunch of my friends from Berkeley went to this camp. It's called Creative Strings, and it's like the best jazz violinists, like um, just amazing string players like in the world. Like a lot of people come to this camp, mm-hmm. and I was there. And I, I didn't study jazz growing. Up. I did at Berkeley a little bit, but I was like like thrown in there and was like, well, this is really different and started singing that like we would do a lot of standards and I would play in different groups. And that's when, I, and I started singing more because I was like, I don't want to take all the solos. I'll take like a little solo and then you guys go do it, but I'll sing the the standard instead and got really comfortable doing that. And so it kind of just trickled into this. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like doing this. I like singing. I like writing. I like performing on that side um and figuring out what worked mm-hmm. for it, me and it sounds like you had a community already there that you were moving to be with yeah. but did you find so many people moved to nashville did you find that community welcoming to you like did you yes. find it super hard to break in certainly you had an in because there's a group living there but yeah no i felt it really welcoming like um when i moved there I started this house show series like I think I Martin and I had actually driven across the country got there the next night I had a house show mm-hmm. in my house and there are 15 people there and it was like my singer songwriter friends but I was like I just want to do it I want to like I was so pumped to be in Nashville and then like two and a half years later now that the house show community is that that specific one has grown so much now there's 90 people at my house and I can't do them at my house anymore because they're so big. And the last one we did was like NPR mentioned it and they're in one wow. of their radio segments and also wrote an article about it, about it. And that's the dream. Yeah. Well, so, now they're even doing my daughter and I were walking through downtown Nashville and there's a billboard like they have it's house concert, but it's in an arena. Like, how do yeah. they do that? That's not a house concert. Like, I don't know about that. They're trying to tap into, like... <laughs> Who lived there? Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the idea of the... It's kind of turned more into, like... Because I'm doing them less at my house. I'm trying to figure out a way to do every, every like, several months at my house to keep it special. Like, that is a really special environment. Mm-hmm. But then also doing them at other venues... Um, and it's more just keeping it intimate and right. ha- keeping it that listening environment where you, the performers are like, I love curating the okay. show. So if, if I'm like, oh, that person's going to love that person, maybe they can work together, curating an environment that is community building by just having a bill that's like, you know, songwriters that have a lot in common that I think might be homies <laughs> sounds like a little bit of an extension of the bluebird cafe kind of um sure yeah. vibe where people are showcasing the songwriters but they're also kind of sparking yeah. off each other and building a, yeah you know. and then the it's also so the special thing about it is the 
artists are backed by string quartet or whatever. It's nice. called Lachlan Strings. And are you part of the? Are you one of them? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I um, it's just grown like so quickly, and yeah, I play viola in it when I can, and it's it started. It's turned into like a contracting thing now too. Like if somebody, if an artist needs strings, they call me, and they're like, "We need the Lachlan strings," and really, it's just my friends. That's There's great, not like though. I'm like, That's- yeah, it's so it's so fun, and we we now also have a. Um, an in-house arranger so if an artist is like I want to play but I don't have arrangements so it's also helping my community you know pay bills Mm -hmm, and and it's it's, I think it's important we're all growing together Mm -hmm. but it's definitely kind of taken off and it's also um, it's singer songwriters but then also local composers that are producers arrangers whatever but also write really cool arrangements and mm-hmm. don't have a platform to play them so it's all of those things yeah you're and serving a lot of needs yeah yeah t- I, totally i feel i feel that because i felt the need when i was th- like there i didn't there's there's a contemporary classical scene but it's small and it's it's like the symphony and those those uh audience members and then um now there's become like m- through lachlan strings and then other kind of organizations that have come up in the past two years they're like same people basically but through those we're creating our own audience Mm -hmm. and trying to bridge those i was gonna say it sounds like a bridge between the two yeah Yeah. like the last one we did usually the house shows are young younger people like my age um younger but can you give us an age range there yes uh like people in their 20s 30s and so this last one i overheard this older woman um saying like oh my gosh there's so many young people here and we're all like oh my gosh there's so many like older people here (laughs) this is such a cool like i don't know just community that's Mm -hmm. it's all ages it's we're all looking for the same thing Mm -hmm. and it's affordable it's intimate it's it's not like 150 bucks to go see the symphony. <laughs> well, it's, it sounds super special for, for many reasons, you know, one of which is that you're doing something that sounds like you genuinely want to be doing for enjoyment. You enjoy playing, you enjoy arranging, mm-hmm. you're getting to do a lot of different versions of that. But also, you know, you can be a good songwriter, but so much of music these days is, I don't want to call it networking, but it is, it's, yeah. it's building a community to support what you're doing and vice versa. And so... How much, if there was any intention in that, or if it's just a nice byproduct, that it's perpetuating what you're doing as a solo artist? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think about that every time, for sure. It's really helpful, um, and it's provided me with opportunities that I might not have had, and I've met people that I might not have met, and I get to curate the bill. So if I'm like, I don't know if I get to play a show with that person, but I really love what they're doing, I'm just going to ask them to play my show, and... So that alone, yes, it has turned into like a organic. I hate the word networking sometimes, but yeah. you know, it's it, it is community building. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, depending on like you know your your um, objective, I guess. But mm-hmm. it is totally also benefiting the Lenny loose artist thing. Lenny I feel Lose. that I have to say Lenny it in that. <laughs> like Groucho Marx would say. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny you mentioned Groucho Marx. I'm, I'm not going to go there. This will not end up in the 
Podcast. Are you going to sing Lydia the Tattoo Lydia, Lady? Lydia, oh Lydia, <laughs> have you seen Lydia? Sorry. Oh, I Sorry. know it. I know it so well. No, we're keeping. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to veto the cut on it. I like that. Please keep that. Yeah. That was. No, that's. I love that. That's like one of the only Lydia songs. That's the Tattoo Lady. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, it's, since we got to your name, we we just had a. Uh, I, I guess uh, presumably a listener reach out to us on social media. You're our first female artist, so thank oh, you for doing that. Amazing. Yeah, our first female yeah. episode. And the young lady that reached out, Lydia, was in her like her account name. And so when she said, "Hey," she basically reached out and said, "Hey, I'm really enjoying the podcast. Have you, are you guys gonna have any female artists on? Like, oh. I feel like we're underrepresented." And and I you know I'd like to hear someone said actually not only are we having one on at least looks we like you guys the same yeah you're the same thing uh, so yeah so that was really really awesome. interesting just since you brought up the name yeah. piece there's more Lydia's than maybe you're aware maybe we should all band together uh-huh. just like the violists in the world <laughs> if you can hear me now <laughs> well so it sounds like you have a, a really wide cross-section of, of music that you're not just aware of, but that you've heard and, and, mm-hmm. and had to absorb. What do you listen to for enjoyment, or do you? Some people oh, can't. yeah. I, oh, I do. Absolutely. It depends on, like, what my need is, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I listen to a lot of contemporary classical music, um, and I listen to a lot of, like... And are you swaying, or are you hearing all the notes, and are you hearing all the, like... Are you studying it while you're listening, no. or can you unplug? I can unplug. Like, my mom used to always say that. She would say she could never turn her brain off when she would listen to, like, classical music. But I can totally do that, and I do. Like <laughs> She's a conductor, so I can yeah. get it more with her, probably. She, yeah, yeah, with conduct. I used to watch her study scores. And I was just like, no way, <laughs> never. She's like big pieces where it's just. She knows where the triangle comes in. A yeah. measure two hundred and twenty-two. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't like. I don't know. That hasn't. I, I guess sometimes I do more with lyrics. I guess maybe mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Right. But not. I don't do that with like with contemporary classical music. I love like Philip Glass. Um, Terry Riley. I just got to hear the Kronos Quartet, and wow. it was so awesome. It was so cool. And, yeah, I have been wanting to see them forever. And they played they played Philip Glass and, wow. and Terry Riley. It was live to a documentary about their careers. And I guess I didn't – I've known about them, but they were so – they were so like punk rock and mm-hmm. so totally changed like the string quartet game. Like they didn't want to wear, you know, they didn't want to look like oh, penguins. Kronos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to look like punk rockers mm-hmm. when they play. And they were so cool. I was really inspired by that. But yeah, and I listened to, I don't know, all different things. I love like Nick Drake and. I was going to say, so I, I poked <laughs> Ed. So we, we were at your show last night, which was fantastic. Thank you. Um, but I remember poking at him like, this sounds like a Nick Drake tune. I think it was Strawberry Moon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I just, I like... But it doesn't sound like Pink Moon. No, it right. doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> it's, it's a coincidence. It doesn't. Yeah. But it, but there isn't that, yeah, that essence in there, um, which I absolutely loved. And I thought it was really interesting, too, because you mentioned in the beginning of your show, and we'll get into songwriting here, um, a lot of your songs have a somberness to them, mm-hmm. you know? And then you played three in a row that were just these, like, open chord... Yeah. You know, positive, happy, major feels. 
Um, and I was like, and I felt a bunch of different things channeling through there, but but that one specifically, Nick Drake, definitely mm-hmm. resonated. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's a definitely somber, but I think I really, I think. Be- I mean, beautifully yeah, somber. Yeah, no, totally. I agree. I think that one's like a happy, one of the happier songs, but it's it comes from a place of deep feeling, of being really aware of the things that maybe you weren't initially happy with Mm -hmm. but then you got there through taking time to deeply feel the things that you're feeling and not run from them Mm -hmm. and then embracing them and growing from them and I feel like that that whole record I did a lot of that um trying to and then you know the next one you have to do it again (laughs) you're like Oh, <laughs> how do I get back there? <laughs> well, it sounds I, like you're very introspective in your yeah. writing. Like you, you seem to have command, for lack of a better term, of of what you're writing about and, and your emotions. A lot of people, I think, are so often just working, like songwriting is working through the human condition, right? Oh, yeah. But you seem absolutely. to maybe have a little bit more of an understanding of your own. Yeah, I've been working on it, <laughs> you know. L- Lydia, do you remember the first song you wrote? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, Can we hear it? No. <laughs> uh, Can anyone? Never. never. <laughs> I did talk about it the other day at a show. Um, All right, we don't want to hear no. about your other shows. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. No, like live. I, because I, we were playing in Asheville and at the Gray Eagle, and I had seen Annie Rossi, the violist, play there, and... I brought my viola to the show and was like, maybe I'll get to play a song for her. And I was really young. I was like 18. I thought you were going to say you were going to get her to autograph it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> gosh. Oh, my gosh. That gives me anxiety thinking about it. <laughs> Don't touch my viola. Um, but I got to play her this. I had written this song called Plastic Eyes. And it was so, like, thinking about it makes me giggle because it's just so silly. But it was like, there's. it was just this dream I had where my eyes fell out and I... I sing and play it on the viola, and it's so weird. And, oh, man. Plastic eyes. Um, like, it references olives, like how eyeballs look like olives. It gets weird. And mm-hmm. I played that. That was my first song. And she let me play it for her in the parking lot, and she was so nice. She was so nice. Like, mm-hmm. some people would be like, no, she was like, I'm going I got, home. I gotta go now. Yeah. Oh, olives? <laughs> we were going to ask you about your stance on drugs, but I think we got what we need. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you can probably already tell from my songwriting, too. Well, I didn't want to make any assumptions. So when when was the first song where you're like, hey, this is this is something like this is something I want to pursue. And um, when was that sort of, I don't know if catalyst moment is the right term. Yeah. But do you have something in your catalog you still play that was an early... Yeah, Love like, You Truth. the first one that made it? I think Love You True is probably that one. Because um, I remember playing it for a couple of people and just getting so much feedback. It's such a weird thing of... So I'm writing such a weird thing because sometimes you're like, I know that this is good. Or like, I feel good about this song. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I've accomplished something. Yes. And then sometimes you're like... I think this is really bad. This sucks. Like, I'm the worst. And then somebody else is like, that's my favorite song. Yes. You're like, why? I don't get it. And then maybe a couple months later, you're like, I love that song. That's <laughs> just a weird thing. But I remember somebody, I wrote that. I wrote the song Love You True for my brother and his wife when they got married. And so maybe having that intention behind it, like, this is a gift, no pressure. I love this person. They'll love me through it, mm-hmm. even if they don't love the song whatever um it's it was more of a a gift of like sharing this 
thing that I this craft with this person that I loved and that and a lot of people really loved that song and then it's a great one yeah thank you yeah. Mm-hmm. and then kind of like that was one of the first that was on my old EP <laughs> that was like five years ago and recorded in my buddy's house in mm-hmm. Nashville well since we're there do you do you want to play that one yeah sure so before you get into the song usually we talk about it after but lyrically can you talk a little bit about the perspective? So you wrote it for your brother. So in the song, and I noticed this, uh, with a lot of your songs, there's an interesting, like the perspective's maybe changing a little bit, or it's yeah. not necessarily you. So is it, are you writing like first person him viewing his wife? Are yeah. You? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a line. It's definitely from my brother's perspective to his wife, and then it does switch in the last chorus. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, and then sometimes I forget to switch it. But um, the last chorus, if it goes according to plan, mm-hmm. It changes for, to her perspective, um, just like it's like a it's a promise. Basically, I'll hold I'll like keep you grounded, and the other, so the other person like a wedding, like or when you get married, you're promising these things to mm-hmm. the other person. Mm-hmm. And the song references my brother. Um, he, my mom gave him his or her diamond from her like my dad's. She had a she got another ring like later on and so the her the first diamond that my dad had given her, that was the ring that he gave to my sister in law. Mm-hmm. So there's a reference to mother's ring. Yeah, I, I mm-hmm. love that. I think yeah. it's so special, yeah. Yeah. Um so that's that. Well let's yeah. let everybody else hear it. All right. It's the way you look tonight And I want to keep you by my side Forever It's the way you pick me up Not just once or twice But every time I fall And I know Beyond a shadow dry our love will never drown so take me to the chapel and wear my mother's ring well, follow me when I'm a wandering and teach me how to be well keep me grounded well keep me still it's you I choose forever Choose forever 
tried not to cry multiple times I'm, I'm not kidding <laughs> yay it's okay to cry I know no, I did last night I was thank you <laughs> I love crying I did that because our photographer was standing on my foot actually <laughs> this song's very beautiful thank you and now a quick interlude about one of the companies supporting this podcast Ed I think we can both agree that the best tasting songs are those that happen naturally that's true Wait, you can't really taste a song, though. That part's not... That's also true of the food we choose to consume, which is why our favorite new artist on the healthy protein charts is ButcherBox. 100% grass-fed beef delivered on dry ice to your door anywhere in the lower 48. So, does that make Alaska like the upper... Ed, just open the box. If you're into more genres than just beef, ButcherBox has you covered. They also deliver Alaskan wild sockeye salmon, free-range organic chicken... Wow, there's got to be like 11 pounds of meat in here. Heritage breed pork and special bacon. Special bacon? Special, because it's free. Use code SONGDIVERS at checkout to get $20 off and free bacon in your first butcher box. And shipping's free too. Special bacon and special shipping. That's special. Now, can you grill as well as you can play guitar? Visit ButcherBox.com to order. One of the things that we've really enjoyed, you know, getting to listen to and study your music as we prep for the show, um, was hearing all of the changing perspectives in the way you approach your songwriting. Uh, I th- there's a lot of name dropping, which is interesting too, and they're not necessarily. It sounds like some of them are not necessarily anybody in particular. Oh, yeah. Azalea, which is is you know your, mm-hmm. one of your singles right now. Um, you described during your show what that song is about. I don't know if you want to talk about that one a little bit, but yeah. you said it's about you, but. Obviously, your name's on Azalea. Yeah, that one is definitely about me. I think it's I like a lot of times. I think I start a song and then I don't realize what it's about until it's maybe it's finished or I'm listening to it later on. Like it takes on new roles. I think that happens when you listen to you know different song any song. You're like hear it once and it may it might mean something to you at that point, and then later on you're like oh I get that. So I think that song. It started off as, like I said last night, the I was going on a solo camping trip, and my mom hates it when I do that. And I still do it because it's important to me. But she was like, just call I was on the way down, and she was like, call me when you get home. So the first line of the song is, Azalea, won't you call me when you're home? It's cold out tonight, and, and you're all alone. And then it kind of 
it kind of like morphed into this um, song. I think Azalea is one character, um, but it's there's two. There's a narrator and then there's Azalea, but I think it's really one person. So it's kind of like this person that's maybe a little bit more insecure, doubting themselves, viewing this strong, free-spirited character and seeing all the things in them that they're lacking, that they want, but they can't get to. So for me, that's like those moments where I'm like feeling like myself and I'm confident and I'm free and I'm able to just lean into it and be there. And then there are those times where you're like, like I I find when I'm, when I'm having like an off day, week, month, whatever, then I'm like thinking about those times when I felt strong and how, how did, what was happening around that time? Like, how did I, how do I get back there basically? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of about, it's kind of about being both, we're so um, complex and we can have so many different aspects of ourselves and um, like all the time in one day go through you know three different versions of ourselves. That's a really <laughs> interesting thought. Can yeah. I quote my, my favorite couplet from that song? Sure, yeah. Which I think encapsulates what you're saying. Um, are you afraid of the dark or do you live by the light in your heart? Yeah. I love that. Oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. a beautiful juxtaposition, yeah. yeah. Because I did know that it was about your mother in the in the solo camping trip. Yeah. But now that you explain that, I'm that's in there too. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. kind of like a struggle between having the courage to to follow the light, or do you just kind of play yeah. it safe and and being brave? There's, it talks about being brave in there too, and mm-hmm. I think like there's so many. I like to I like to kind of dive into things and take risky moves in life, and like I haven't always done that for sure. But I think that there's this beautiful moment when you're feeling really um, afraid and you know you have to do something and you just dive in and do it and then it's always so worth it and you grow so much from it. But it's a really terrifying thing to like change or um, go be brave and do something different and shake things up. And and like I, that's really important to me and trying to make sure that I'm not complacent and always curious and I think to stay curious you have to take chances and risks and go be by yourself um go just I don't know live life and Mm -hmm. it's easy to get it's easy to just kind of fall into routine and pattern and I do that too and I'm like oh why do I feel this way oh wait you you need to go do something different go change it up well it's interesting too that you talked about like Obviously, community is very important to you, mm-hmm. and having that, uh, you know, mixture of influences and, and friends and support. Yeah. But then it's also important to you. You talked about getting, having some solitude. Yes. Like finding that balance. Is, it, is that an ongoing challenge for you? Or yeah, I'm constantly because I think I'm by nature very like I love being in social environments, but then. Um, I think in the past few years, as I've gotten older, I'm like realizing how important it is to recharge and life doesn't just give you several days sometimes to just go do that and you have to schedule it in and plan it. And so, um, and then what I've been working on, I think too, like later lately 
um, for a while and then being more thoughtful about it lately is just like the intention there too. Like, um, if I don't give myself those moments to recharge, then I'm not going to be the best version of myself for my community and for my people. And so I have to go do that and take care of myself, take care of my mental health, my well-being, um, sleep, do all the things <laughs> so that I can be social and in that environment and be a leader too. You have to take care of yourselves. And I think the older I get, I'm like, oh, that's important. <laughs> you know, so maybe I feel it more. <laughs> well, but I, it's important not to downplay that. I mean, I think of my communities um, are all people that I respect and care about a lot. But I think a lot of them would think that you're not only aware because aware awareness is a hard thing yeah. but but once you're aware you still have to do something about it exactly you know? so taking the time making the time and, and not just knowing what to do like that's hard also so it's awareness then what do i do about it and then you still actually have to do it yes you know and i think mm-hmm. there's that age-old adage of fortune favors the brave you know mm-hmm. and so i love that you're talking about like bravery being really important to just self-health yeah you know, kind of holistic overall health um I'm interested too in you know that's all introspective some of your songs again are talking about things that are not personal to you they're just kind of like blips in time and I wonder if it's almost sometimes easier to write about somebody else's vulnerability or it's or it's easier to take a different perspective and to me Helen is one of those that I heard it out of context the first time not knowing what it was about and I attributed it to a person you know absolutely And, and and then when we went and again we we studied you and and looked into what that was about it, it took on a different meaning and i i loved it even more mm. um and, and I, I wonder if you could talk about that approach yeah um that was another one that kind of organically came like happened and then later was like oh that's um that's so much of life and <laughs> so many relationships were so in the story well this the song's about it kind of referenced this story I'd heard, and I don't remember where I heard it. I I know where I heard it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Where did you hear it? My daughter and I, that, and that's why one reason I found it so interesting is in October, I flew out to Portland mm-hmm. for my daughter's birthday, and we went to Mount St. Helens. Oh, so, awesome. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you'd actually been there. I have. Yeah, that I, way to ruin the story. <laughs> <laughs> no. Spoiler not alert. All, not at all. <laughs> Um, I that's one of my favorite places in the whole world. Like the Northwest is so epic, and I think maybe because I grew up in flat Florida. I feel the same way. I yeah. grew up. I grew up in Florida, and I feel yes. the same way about it's that. So it's so epic. Northwest. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's beautiful, and I and, did a lot of touring up there and yeah. just hanging. And yeah, Mount St. Helens is beautiful. I think I probably heard the story up there, but right. for the listeners, the story is about it's this. Um, true this guy harry truman um he lived on the side of mount st helen not the president by the no way, like harry so. i think it's like harry b Tr- r, harry r truman, r. truman yeah. yeah not the president um and he lived to several i don't know about his whole life but a majority of his life on the side of mount st helens and when she was about to explode everybody was evacuating and he didn't want to leave and there was an element to it where like volcanoes i'm sure there's activity and you're you're like oh it's not going to happen you know we've there've been scares before but i think ultimately what he was feeling was like this was his home and this is what he knew and he didn't want to leave it 
and so he stayed and he he didn't of course make it but um I've read so many things about like <laughs> he's he was an ornery dude mm-hmm. <laughs> he was like he's worth google searching um because that's an element to like I think his stubbornness is another element to why he stayed everybody else left and um he didn't want to leave and mm-hmm. so there are a couple stories I'm I'm not remembering them right now but that are really funny but yeah so the song ended up about kind of this it almost turned into a love romantic story whatever um, relationship, unhealthy relationship yeah with this character and the volcano and in the song it talks about like you can't you know it's bad for you and and this is so many things it's not just it's you know whatever your habits things whatever Mm -hmm. it is Mm -hmm. you know it's bad for you but you can't let go of it because and then there's a part in the song and like the third verse or something where it talks about your identity your identity becoming in becoming that like I can't leave because I don't know what I'll be if I'm not that and I think that's the that's the more relatable thing if if it's not a relationship whatever but there's so many things that we identify with where we're like this is me this is who I am even healthy things like I am a runner I am a whatever Mm -hmm. like um, what would I be without that? Yeah. Like, you know, and yeah. you would just be you. You're yourself. And mm-hmm. there's so many layers to you that aren't identif- they're not identified in things or um, careers, mm-hmm. whatever. So, But people like to diagnose, you know? Yeah. People like to diagnose, and I think that that's not good or bad necessarily, like you yeah. said, because you can identify things that are healthy. Yes. You know? and, and that's great. I think that's... I think that's a not a bad thing. I think it's just being it's an awareness of mm-hmm. like, okay, well this is a thing that I'm I do and I love it. And it's like it's emotional awesome. dependence. Yes. You know, yes. And it's avoiding that. Yeah, yeah. So the song's like definitely about that too. Um Do you mind playing that one? For I would us? love like, to. Yeah. Wanna hear it? I will play it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Soon she's gonna blow Her ashes falling low Her temperament, we've seen it all before But she is everything I know Smoke fills up the tree line I didn't make it out on time She's lighting up and soon she's gonna rise And it is such a glorious sight Oh Helen, how you hurt me but I will not deserve Call me crazy Oh, it don't face me Cause I find beauty in the suffering Oh, Helen, my Helen You'll take me to hell and back again 
It's, I know it was five years ago, but it's so different. It's funny how, how much a voice can change. Mm-hmm. I mean, even our speaking voices, I think. But, yeah, I feel like I'm enjoying singing more than... It used to terrify me, for reals. Yeah, it's interesting <laughs> how you say about people's voices changing because Andrew talked a lot about finding his own voice. Yeah. And when we did it, and a lot of our, a lot of our guests... I mean, it's part of the process of oh, songwriting, absolutely. right? Finding your voice, but... Yeah. You know, and, and Martin is Australian. He's got an accent, which reminds me that, you know, uh, for my, my full-time job outside of music, we work with a lot of different groups, and we'll have people go from the U.S. and live in Australia for a few years, and they come back, and they're starting to, like, mm. they start to pick up a little bit of it. And totally. and I notice the more I'm listening to certain music, if I'm listening to it all the time, my voice will start to just, like, you know, just the way you curl something or the way you nuance something. And yeah. So even if just your timbre isn't changing, your approach and your own your own perception of what a voice should sound like because of what you like, yeah. you know, and what you're filtering probably changes your approach to it too totally. without you really realizing it. And your and your music, like every I think just that's like the whole process of growing and like mm-hmm. we make you have to make different records and this one's going to sound different than the next one mm-hmm. and whatever you're you're absorbing things in life constantly and constantly taking things and putting them in your pocket and using them later on in life in whatever capacity and in lyrics and and things you absorb and style and taste and let's talk yeah. a little bit about uh, we're on that subject about the production of the of the album azalea yeah. and mm-hmm. who you worked with in the studio there and then i've also heard now you've kind of established your own studio so that you can um, record Mm -hmm. autonomously yeah that's been cool i got to like that 
it's still a work in process. Uh-huh. <laughs> progress. Well, what process was it like working with progress. a producer on the on the album? <laughs> that who, who that was that? yeah, that was Jordan Lenning. Um, he and he's been kind of like with the string thing too, the Lachlan strings thing. He we've we're very. Um, we work really well together and Mm -hmm. we have a lot of the same dreams I feel like and things that we enjoy in music and so we've working with him on the record was incredible it was um, I felt really heard like I took a I tried to make the record um, that summer that same year and it just I had just come to Nashville and I was working with a great producer and I just didn't know what I wanted and went in there and was like, I'll just figure it out. And mm-hmm. it just wasn't happening. And then I um, I really knew I wanted strings on the record and I had taken a couple months in between that process and then working with Jordan to just really record my own stuff. I demoed all of my own songs. I wrote all my the string arrangements. I just like locked myself in a room and was like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> what are you trying to make? And that was kind of like, that was, that was the foundation then of the record and the song like I just record what I know and that's what I do in my studio too like mm-hmm. um, I do I don't mix well but I'll record everything produce it and then I'll send it to Jordan or whoever mm-hmm. to mix mm-hmm. um, but guitar strings and voices and that's what I know so that's what I was doing and if it was just me it all like 100% me and so then taking that to Jordan and being like this is what I want to do but I want to do it bigger mm-hmm. and with somebody that um, has a different understanding of harmonic um, approach to string writing because I was layering most of my stuff. I'm not. I don't. I wasn't like writing it out. And he's really. He's a composer too, so he mm-hmm. does a lot of stuff for the Lachlan Strings thing. Um, but he, his string arrangements are incredible, and he also is a producer. So it was kind of like. I should work with him. Duh. The like record that's, sounds great. Thank it does. you. Yeah. yeah thank yeah. you. We did half of it in the, at Sound Emporium in Nashville, and then um, and then he has a home studio too. That's the beautiful thing about Nashville is everybody's got like space. <laughs> <laughs> you can't really do that in LA. Right. Yeah. You want to do it at your house or my house? Yeah. Exactly. So my, my neighbor's house. Yeah. My yeah. studio is like definitely. Um, it's a little space above my garage and. I've been making my making. I just finished making a sound diffuser, and two of my friends, who are really into that stuff, like power tools and and diffusing sound. D- yeah, diffusing sound, man. Mm-hmm. They came over and we worked in my garage for like four days, and I learned so much. I had never used a um, circular saw or <laughs> a nail gun, and it was so fun. And I, I cut like probably 900 of those little pieces for the sound diffuser but it felt really good to do it myself mm-hmm. and so that's I'm using I want to use that space for for just that for like doing what I know and then learning more about mixing I'd like to get better at it but mm-hmm. it's a time thing and I like I went over to Jordan's and was like can you just teach me I want to sit and watch you do it like we we're working on a project of mine and I was like I just want to watch you do all the things and walk me through it and one of the things I realized was I have to spend a lot of money on plugins <laughs> well but it's and also things. it's also it is in itself an instrument in a way and yeah, you, know, you spend sure. all this time going to conservatory and studying something and if someone's like hey can you just teach me violin no, I'm going to come not. over for a night and learn yeah. violin you know 
but over Absolutely. over and over again also having said that that's important for the sound you want to achieve but at the end of the day the the most important thing is what's coming out of your the fingers song, and yeah, ha- yeah. having a good mic and just capturing a moment yeah yeah what's coming out of Absolutely. your you know fingertips basically yeah, and, yeah. you know yeah, and we did. I'm really proud of that record. We're, I have four unreleased songs that I've done with him as well, and I'm like now in this process of, I really want to make another record, but mm-hmm. I'm like, I feel like the songs that I have that are unreleased are so different, and so I'm just giving myself different from each other. You mean as a batch? Different from each other. Okay. Different yeah. from each other. They could fit. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to be patient and wait and let like let it happen kind of organically like I think the next project will kind of show itself like I'm not going to force all those songs into a record maybe I put them out over time whatever um, and then keep writing and see what that next project mm-hmm. wants to be. Maybe there's a full length, and then maybe there's an EP. Sure, with the mis- yeah. Misfits. I do like yeah. the idea of full length, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just, talk I talk like a little bit about the EP that's coming out uh, in May, like um, because you decided to take some of the songs from yeah. Azalea and kind of rework them. What's what's that about? Yeah, that's um, like the string versions of the record. So I, but it's I, an instrumental record. It is an instrumental record. So I took out in my studio. Actually, I did all the I did all the um, string parts there, and I took out all the vocals, so all the vocal harmonies, all the the words, everything. And then put violin and viola in the place of them. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, not all the songs I could do that with, of course. <laughs> Quickly learned which ones I couldn't do. But um, for several of them, it really worked well. It was, it was already so stringy and and dense in the arrangements. So it just kind of provided this, like, really special cushion for the song, for the the melody to just be in the viola part and the vocal vocals are so similar to string instruments anyways so um i there how many songs like maybe eight or something seven or eight and um those half of them are just instrumentals and then the other there are three that are from a, a live session that i did with just me and string quartet quintet and um yeah, so why not? I feel like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had this idea like after I made the record, I was like, man, I spent a lot of time and also a lot of money on this. So how do I capitalize <laughs> on that and just keep it going? And so and I have a studio and and it was really fun. It was definitely like harder than I thought at times because um, just the intonation would really just bug me. I'd sit there and do it forever, and it'd be three cons- parts. Conservatory and, background. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'd, its head. I'd have yeah. to step away and be like, "This," is, and that's the. I think a lot of um, artists, when they produce their own stuff, fall into the same trap of like getting so in it, and you need sometimes an extra pair of ears to be like, "Dude, that sounds great." Yeah. Right. You're crazy. Right. And it drove me a little crazy. There was once particularly Helen drove, drove me crazy. <laughs> Actually, as the song implies, the, the irony. Song, yeah, yes, oh, the irony. So while we're still at process, which is something we ask all of our guests, yeah. we're trying to take a tally here. Are you a lyrics first, music first, or title first writer? Um, I think I do it differently each time. I little, little everything. Yeah, huh? like lyrics. Um, if I have like a nugget, like a 
my one of this there's a songwriting teacher at Berkeley that used to call it a song seed mm. when you have like an idea and you um, I have my phone has just nuggets of th- just stupid things fine things whatever things that I might never use but Are if I have little audio clips you mean like uh, just words sometimes notes, like notes, okay. oh that's a cool concept for an, like an idea for a song mm-hmm. like I get them a lot when I'm running, and I'll just stop and like write one down. Um, but voice memos too. But I, I usually don't do that. I don't do that as much. I usually I think so. I guess then maybe most of the time I do start with the words. Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna I was gonna say if someone had asked me to guess because your the vocabulary that you're using is is really great. Helen's a good example of you know using. Uh, you know, I will not desert thee to come back, and the way you rhyme that is great. But even just some of your your interspersed between the songs, like some of the words that you use, I really enjoyed. You used the word fol- folkloric last night. Oh yeah, which is like that one really stuck in my head. I was like, oh, it's a keeper. The first one time I said that live, I was like, our show I was like, is that that's a word, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, if it's not, they should consider it. I often do slide in. I knew what word it meant words. immediately. Yeah. So it had yeah. its intended. I thought it was Scottish profanity. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if said in that accent, it almost it's quite possible that uh, <laughs> that I used it in the wrong way, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but it worked. And if you say anything confidently, you know, it floats. Without <laughs> question, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of you know trying to make it in the music industry these days, because it's part of part of what this podcast is about. You're on tour. You're a touring musician. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked a little bit about your community, well, a lot of bit about your community yeah. and what you're doing in Nashville. What are the things that you think are are challenges um, that you feel like you're figuring out how to overcome or that you're not sure about yet? And what are the things you think you're intentionally doing that are helping you continue to have a place in the, in the industry and, and push yourself forward and, and make a living and career out of it? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think balance is the thing that, like balancing everything is something that I have to constantly work on and boundaries. <laughs> um where like I'm really feeling like I'm going into this place of creating that I I'm just I have a desire that to do that at this point like it's time and making sure I have time to do that because there's a lot there's so many aspects of all of it and I actually I think I'm one of maybe the few people that likes the business side of it mm-hmm. I understand it or I like I respect it I do have I do have a team that gets it more than I do but it's I enjoy thinking about that and so can um, compartmentalizing all of the aspects of it and making sure that okay these are your allotted this is your allotted time to put yourself into the business aspect of it and think about that don't be let yourself be there and not um, overwhelmed by it. And then when you go to create, be there fully, being like fully present in that and not worrying, not letting the things seep into each other and just keeping it separate. And same with, because I now have a lot of different projects. So making sure that I allot time for each of them. And I think that's a big challenge because the I have to be writing and like creating and saving that precious thing and making sure I have energy and time to do that. And so making sure that balance is always at the forefront of everything. Um, And I think what's going well. I mean, I think one thing that 
because I do do a lot of different things, I've been patient. And I don't, I like, I'm just excited about all of the things, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm never like, man, I really want a booking agent tomorrow. Or mm-hmm. I wish I had, like, I'm just kind of like, whatever happens is going to be great and everything. It's been growing steadily. And I've been enjoying the whole process thoroughly. Like, there's been rough, you know, there's mm-hmm. been bumps. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's been one thing that when I, when I can... <laughs> being patient throughout all of it have you at any point been and i ask this as a male a white male in the industry uh conscious or aware of the fact that you are a female in the industry have you felt like it's it's balanced it's kind of it doesn't really matter in this industry because there's certainly a lot of talk about that and a lot of the Mm -hmm. award shows about under-representation of minorities and women and and certainly you mentioned business you know it's certainly in the workforce that's still a huge issue yeah Um, I'm I'm curious what your take is on that I have so many because I've done so many different things like seen different sides of of the music this all this weird thing I have seen and experienced different aspects of it like as a violin player who's playing for Rod Stewart you know um like the wardrobe you must wear and there's as an artist I've felt respected by my community and as a leader in my community I've felt respected as a woman and powerful because of it Mm -hmm. and maybe that's also because I feel like I've surrounded myself the guys that I work with I work with a lot of men and they all respect me as an equal but um, that's not it hasn't always happened that way and I think for me the thing that annoys me the most is when I have done the string things and you're looked at as a uh, as an image as just the I don't know eye candy or whatever like <laughs> rather than the talent really? yeah like in the you're speaking specifically of like Backing up Rod Stewart or or uh, that didn't that wasn't a horrible it wasn't a bad experience. But even but in, like in I the classical it. world, or not in saying? the classical. Okay, world. Yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very much you're, asexual. Yeah, because I, I I would have found that surprising. So, but I mean, my but, mom was a classical conductor, and she was one of the only female classical conductors, and she had to you know like especially when she was coming up, like that she experienced that in the classical world all the time, and mm. just. I feel like you just have to have like a strong backbone and be like, no, I'm doing this and I'm going to do it really well. Um, and, but she also had a lot of great, um, male relationships. I think of fellow conductors or people that respected what she did. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, but I mean, I'd like to see, I have these conversations all the time with like female friends, whatever my guy friends too, of like, it's in Nashville, there's so many backing bands, and mine too, um, of males, like mm. dudes. Mm-hmm. Like, where are the where are the like chicks that are shredding on guitar? <laughs> and there are there are some, and they're really badass. And I want to see them more. And I got to get them to play on my stuff. Right. But it is funny. And I was I was talking to maybe I was even talking to I think Andrew and the guys. Like, it's sometimes not even like a. I, it's another thing to be intentional about and be aware of when I'm choosing my band. Like I do often like choose my friends and a lot of them are, and, and people that I know have a certain sound they happen to be guys. But if I want to, um, if I'm aware of that and I want to be intentional about, 
trying to make that change, then I should be seeking out. Like I, I know I, I know a handful in Nashville, but yeah, I should be seeking out and uh, promoting that change too. And it happens a lot more in LA. Like you see a lot more women mm-hmm. drummers, and and people want that actually more. But Nashville's Nashville's slowly mm-hmm. kind of, and even in the session world, like strings, it's different. It's not. I'm their women. It's split down the middle. Well, speaking as an adult adolescent, uh, I for plenty. <laughs> gentlemen say you know like the adage of I'm going to pick up an instrument so I can attract women I mean even Ronnie Elliott who's one of our guests who we absolutely loved is you know mentioned he said yeah I thought it would be a good way to you know potentially meet people uh, mm-hmm. I haven't heard a lot of my female uh, colleagues say like I learned guitar so I could pick up dudes <laughs> I have never heard that right I mean that's how, that's why I picked up the viola but I'm just kidding <laughs> yeah <laughs> Total guy magnet. Just, with they're my just viola. lining up, man. I think that just might be they don't know how to pronounce viola. Probably, voila. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's so funny. That's true. I've never heard that. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I think it's it's just kind of where we've come from in music. It's mm-hmm. kind of, but it, I think uh, I'm I'm hopeful that things keep growing and changing, and the more conversations we have about it, the more. Um, there are a lot of like young girls that I know that are there's a lot of programs and there are different programs in Nashville um, Girls Right Nashville is one like empowering young women to be musicians in this music industry and mm-hmm. confident and like go play drums do it and um, I don't know just like building their confidence in it mm-hmm. and go be a producer go whatever like it's funny the women that I I have worked with a lot, like several women producers, female producers, and sometimes, like, sometimes we have, we feel the need to put like an edge of like a little hardness on, be- a toughness, because mm-hmm. there is that divide. And I've like, I've worked with several women where I'm like, dang, you tough. <laughs> All right, I won't be on your bedside. <laughs> but also, They've, you know, they've, they're doing it for a purpose. Right. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. That's not usually my approach. I'm not a really, well, it can be tough, but. I think there's a beauty in working with other people too, mm-hmm. because yes. like for me, even for co-writes and stuff, <clears throat> like there's a beauty in co-writes because you're working with somebody that has a different set of skills than you. Mm-hmm. So you're challenging yourself. Like every time I, I write with this guy, Anthony DeCosta, a lot. And um, he always just challenges me. Like with um, writing, With he's a way better guitar player. He's, he's incredible. Okay, so you know him. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. No, yeah. he's... We know him. Yeah. I mean, I've, geek, I've geeked out on YouTube. Because like, he'll do like product demos and stuff oh, too. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Like, I want one of those he's, pedals. So he's the reason I have the Waterloo. Yeah, I yeah. stole his Waterloo right, right. for three okay. months or I totally two months. Get that. I get that. And yeah. I was like, Anthony, give me your guitar. Okay. I love it. And I fell in love with it. And then, but he's since told me that he's envious of mine. So okay, you got a good. One. I got a really got good a one. Special one. Yeah, but he he's he constantly challenges me um, in that world because guitar's not my first instrument, and like I'm constantly learning. Like, oh, that's a chord. I didn't know if I put my hands there it would make that sound. Yeah, that's how I It's a different, like, it's, the strings are so linear, so mm-hmm. it's different to conceptualize. So, 
yeah, I think it's really great to work with other people and, and just constantly stretches you as an artist and person and musician. So, Lydia, in terms of what you have coming up, mm-hmm. what do you want people to go listen to? What do you have coming up? What should they be looking for? And what are you hoping to get done in the next one to five years? Well, that's a lot of years. <laughs> um, I want to make another record soon. So this summer I'm writing a lot, but um, I'm putting out that EP in May. And then I have several shows this summer just here in Nashville, L.A. I go back to L.A. a lot and write and work out there um, just to chain up, change up the scene and like the songwriters and write with different people. But um, I'm doing a U.K. tour in September that's like four or five weeks, and that'll be really fun. I'm opening for Sam Outlaw. I don't know if you know him. I used to play fiddle in his band. He's like country Americana. Mm-hmm. And... I'll be playing with him as well. And I really love what I'm doing in all of the things, like the Lachlan Strings things, everything. I love the different aspects of like my music career. It's so weird and it's so just me and different and like it makes me feel really fulfilled. I just want to be doing what I'm doing, like, you know, times whatever in mm-hmm. five years. And I say that now, but there could be like, you know, a whole nother thing, another project, whatever. But um, I'm really into like the Lachlan Strings things and and everything that's going on. So I just want to keep just letting it kind of organically unfold and see what happens. And yeah, man, keep playing, keep shredding on viola. <laughs> <laughs> I do have this idea of like maybe one day I'd audition as a sub for the symphony but then also that kind of stresses me out thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> well Lydia we wish you luck with whatever you approach and Thank you. congrats on all the success so far and yeah. a wonderful performance last night Thank you, you had so two much. new yes. and, yep. and really happy fans awesome. right. of yours yep. for sure thank you guys so much for having yeah, me this thank was you. so fun yeah. come back and see us soon I would love to it's right. nice here we'll see you later <laughs> bye <laughs> Thank you for supporting us and our sponsors and all the great independent music makers out there trying to make their way in the music business these days. Songs we heard in this episode were Strawberry Moon, Helen, and Azalea, all from Lydia's Azalea album, and Love You True from her EP, The Tides. To hear more of Lydia Luce, follow her on Spotify, Facebook, and Instagram. All under Lydia Luce. That's L-Y-D-I-A-L-U-C-E. Head to LydiaLuce.com to follow her tours. And if you want more of her string work, follow Lachlan Strings on Instagram to see if you can land a seat at one of their intimate NPR acclaimed shows. 
Lachlan is spelled L-O-C-K-E-L-A-N-D. She heavily influenced this record, I think. My old roommate was, was a songwriter, and she, she just gave me this poem about... It was her whale poem. It's yeah. it's talking about a whale song, but it, like finding your voice and being your own person, but it, it's also a metaphor with an ocean animal. <laughs> so she was like, you're going to love this naturally. Song Divers is a production of Ybor City Records and recorded in the historic Kenwood district of St. Petersburg, Florida.